Yeah, nice look, Peter. That's great. <laughs> I just thought we've been in the same room now for 30 minutes. I should make some yeah, that's some right. You need a superhero face mask. <laughs> All right. I thought that was one of your kids' underwear. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mask. I'll, th- I'll have you know, Cormac McCann, <laughs> that that my wife slaved over a hot um, sewing machine to to make. Given that we're in the same room th- in in the internet, anyway. Thank you. I feel like safety precautions have just gone up a notch. That's good. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical and joyful. Today's show is movies that make us think. We've been sitting around and lots of us have had time, not me particularly, but lots of people have been talking more about movies lately, the ones that they've liked, the disliked, their favorites. And what I thought we'd do is talk about movies that made us think, actually drew us out and made us wonder about life, the universe and everything, or think about a particular topic. It gives us an opportunity to talk about a whole range of different movies or TV shows that made us think. Uh, we've had Matt Tan on the show before talking about The Walking Dead and all the different theology that came out of that for him. And he's talked about his connection with anime. But let's push it a little bit harder today. I'm your host, Peter Holmes. Today I'm joined by Renee Cole Ryan, professor in Hello, philosophy Peter. at the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> and we're joined by co host Cormac McCann. Um, welcome back, Cormac. Thanks very much for having me back. Indeed. Before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, subscribe on your podcast app and that way you won't miss an episode. Let's get stuck into this. Um, Movies that make you think. Now, I'm partial to sci-fi movies because they actually do make me think. Good ones anyway. The ones that they can set up a thought experiment in a way that other people can't, like in a normal movie. I've got a few that I loved recently and um, I watched, I finally got around to watching Arrival and I can't remember the actress's name, Jeremy Renner's in it, Um, but the actress was very good. Uh, But the whole concept of time is, have you seen Arrival? No, I have not. Oh, now I'm going to be a spoiler. No, that's okay. Tell me, tell me, tell me. It's a really interesting concept because the, basically I'm interested because it's about language. An alien ship kind of basically arrives on Earth and you're thinking, oh, heck, it's one of these sci-fi ones where everyone goes, ah, and bad stuff happens. The whole movie is about a linguistics expert who gets brought in by the government because they were trying to figure out how to communicate and the ideas of communicating with with beings that don't actually have our our same point of reference were really interesting just the whole idea of where do you start with basic concepts with and as it turns out in the movie there's a there's a a time factor in their communication which they don't view time in the same way we do which is really really interesting philosophically what about something like inception you've probably seen that so inception is that the one with johnny depp no no it's no, um, leonardo dicaprio and um, oh, yeah. basically, and it's, the one where it's a, they go it's into a Christopher dreams. Nolan special. You know, Christopher Nolan is one of my favourite, if not my favourite, director. Uh, yeah, he's he's incredible. So yeah, he loves grappling and. With have you seen mentors. it, Renee, or not? I think that I have. Maybe Cormac, keep talking, and I might get there. <laughs> no. Yeah. Once we'll we get past the fangirling about Christopher Nolan, we actually get into the actual movie itself. Uh, basically, the the concept is that you can actually, through this um, mechanism he has, you can go into someone else's dreams. 
Yeah, then, I have seen it. And it's obviously yeah. made a huge impression because it's blended into about five other sci-fi movies <laughs> in my mind right now. Right. Um, I find it hard with sci-fi stuff quite often, I think since The Matrix. The Matrix really blew it for me because so many people loved it and they were like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, this is so cool. And I didn't like it. But that so that's become really difficult for me. It's ever not since. really a question of liking it though. I mean, I did like The Matrix, but... And even though it's got bad philosophy, it gives you an entry into talking about philosophy with people, doesn't it? I mean... Well, my main issue was... Well, okay, I had two main issues with The Matrix. One was that it was bad philosophy, but the other one was (laughs) that it was a really... It just gave such a dark and sordid view of reality. So it wasn't just the Cartesian dualism stuff. So this idea that our minds and our bodies are split apart and that actually what's most important is our mind. So that that wasn't the problem for me. The problem for me was that once you figure out what reality is all about, it is awful. And that's just the opposite to what I think philosophy should be doing, which is that it should be helping us to enter into a worldview where we can see that reality is wonderful and it's a gift and it's something that you want to know more and more and more about. So it kind of gave this impression that you'd be better off not knowing what reality is about, whereas I think that the opposite should be the case. So to me, it was sort of like anti-contemplation, anti-the um, goodness of reality. And that's that's what I found the most disturbing about The Matrix. And then it just got worse as it went on. So by like Matrix 3, I was, it was the most nihilistic garbage. Um, sorry, Mike, you can cut all of this if you want to. But it was, um, oh, I see. I, it was I soft thought... porn as well. Like it was just like the whole thing was just a mess. I, I thought that um, the Matrix, there were characters in the Matrix who quite deliberately said, well, it'd be better if we didn't know. It'd be, it'd be a pleasant, more pleasant existence if you went back to not knowing. And they were the bad guys. Like, they were the ones who made the thing. Whereas the good guys were supposedly the ones who embraced the dark kind of ugliness of reality. Yeah, but um, reality is not dark and ugly. That's a fair point. And, and to be honest, I'd agree with that. And I also agree that the second and third movies were were just boring because they just they were rubbish. tedious. They were tedious. <laughs> but having said that, there was there, that was an attempt at a Scottish accent. The, um, <laughs> That's the only word I do really. Rubbish. <laughs> but like um, a Scottish frog. Yeah, that's say. right. Rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> yeah, oh dear. But the um, <laughs> we're obviously taking this very seriously. <laughs> what about um something like Blade Runner was an interesting movie. Oh, Blade was Runner is awesome. It was. I'm. I loved visually. I loved the sequel, but I didn't think it had the same depth intellectually. Okay, that like you just said, liked and Blade Runner two together. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. It was it, terrible. It was visually stunning, though. No, the, really the not. I really mean, that's like beautiful. saying, what was that terrible movie that came? Oh, sorry, I'm being so negative not right now, I know. But what, what was the one I used this? <laughs> the world is positive, Renee. It's not bleak at all. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Um, reality is positive. The the one with all of the blue people. What Avatar. was that thing? Avatar. Avatar. Hey, Which is basically Pokemon. Come on. It's, yeah. it's dances with um, Smurfs. It's the old dances with wolves but with blue people instead of Indians. Well, so, what I found difficult about that one was that I would say to people, okay, so what was it about? And they'd give me sort of vague kind of, you know, plot things like that. And they'd say, oh, but it looked so cool. And all I could think about was that Aristotle, when he writes his poetics, says that spectacle is the least important thing when you're looking at a work of art. 
Um, when you're looking at drama, I should say, because it should okay. be about the human condition. It should be about narrative and it should be about right. plot well, and character. Let's throw a classic at you, Ben. Have you ever seen V for Vendetta? Remember, remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually did my, um, oh, what was that? I did extension history in, in year 12 and I did my, uh, we had to do one major thesis and I actually did it on the uh, the gunpowder plot and then happened to see V for Vendetta. Um, at a similar time. So it was, oh, you know, it was actually a really, really interesting uh, connection there. And it was, remember someone uh, it des- described the film to um, to me as being a film with really strong and positive ideas, but with not the greatest examples. <laughs> interesting. It's not bad because he has, mm. he has very powerful um, views politically and it's, it's some really interesting statements that he makes, but then he, the methods he uses to 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 get Natalie Portman on board is is quite hard and ugly. Yeah, I think I think more I think more along the the lines of oh, how can I how do I put this? I think I think the setup of you know a very kind of uh, controlling state, but the the controlling state is is very much hard against different demographics of people, and there would could have been other ways of doing that, or different groups of people to have you know, oppressed, you know, and, and have as the, the bastions of freedom and everyone, you know, uh, freedom being a very, you know, high and noble thing in our liberal democratic society. Uh, I, yeah, I think that was what the, that person was meaning when they when they made that point to me. The Lord of the Rings as a thinking movie. As a thinking movie, not a, mm. wow, I'm in Middle Earth, this is awesome movie. <laughs> well, even reading the books, I mean, think I'm trying to look at – in. We're leaving aside the whole idea of that being a really, really fun thing to watch Middle Earth come to life. Does it? I think it makes you think in the sense of the struggle. Some things they did very well in the movies, and that is they they portrayed some personal struggles um, of each of the main characters in in the books. Each of the main characters has to come up against their own personal temptation to try and get the ring, to use yeah. the the power to achieve some good that they have. And the temptation is they know if they take up this power, it will corrupt them. But yeah. there's the, this massive temptation to kind of, for this this good thing, and they're usually very desperate. Like Boromir is desperate. He's actually despairing and he can't see any other way through. And this seems to be his, his way out when he says yeah. it's a gift. It's a gift to us. We can use this to win the battle kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that the whole, what the Jackson movies really picked up was that hope is so important, that when, yeah. when things th- seem really dark, that hope is very important. So I think that that worked uh, really well. And visually, I know that I was complaining about only focusing on spectacle, but visually the way that he's able to contrast the evil with the good is quite spectacular. Yes, um, yeah. But I also think that just having enough time with those characters was great. So in terms of a thinking movie, watching the development of Frodo, watching the development of Sam, uh, even of Gandalf, you actually see Gandalf hesitate and, and worry. And, you know, I think that the the hobbits thought that that was impossible at the very beginning. It was this kind of godlike figure. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that all of that is true. And also how societies can band together communities can band together or they can fall apart that was really crucial as well that whole sense of fellowship yes and then seeing different um the way that different leaders lead um yeah you know lots and lots to think about there for sure what about um a movie that's not visually spectacular 
um, but he's uh, definitely one that gets you thinking is Babette's Feast. Yeah. An old um, subtitled movie from way back. If you haven't watched that, listener, uh, you should. It's a it's a very slow and um, not a visual spectacular at all. It's very slow. Is it set in? Is it Denmark or somewhere like that? Uh, it or is Holland? in Denmark, I believe. Noted as a listener that or hasn't Sweden, seen it. it? <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Guilty. Um, I use that one in a couple of you classes, do. actually. Yeah. Okay. What do and you I think use the theologians for? do as well, so it's probably one of those movies that. How did you escape it, Cormac? Um, I don't know. Divine intervention, I guess. <laughs> well, now's your I've moment. You should watch it. <laughs> it is. It is. If you're looking for a spectacle, it's rather tedious, but it's interesting. I've showed it to all my children, and only one of them said, "Oh." The rest of them actually were a little bit fascinated with it because the whole movie is is about one uh, meal. And it's just an amazing uh, concept the way it works out, and and you're not there's no preach it's not really preachy it's not there's not a huge amount of dialogue which relates to the message of it. You have to observe the characters and their reactions to what happens. Um, would you say that's fair, Renee? Yeah. So I think that one one staff member has used it to think about the Eucharist and how yes. and that act of self giving in the Eucharist. I've used that movie, so in terms of if you're thinking about movies that make you think, I've used it within a course on love and friendship because you find the different kinds of love love in there. You have agape, so that, that self-giving love. You have friendship, which is really, um, really important in the, in the community that's, that, that you see there, this very tight-knit community. But you also have eros, so romantic love and how that works out or doesn't work out. So it's a mm. really thoughtful kind of piece on all of that as well, yeah. Right. Well, I've thrown some movies at you. Um, I've got a couple of trivia ones later, but what about you guys? What are some movies that have made you think? Comic, over to you. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> this is going to this is going to catch me out really badly. Um, I really recently just finished watching the third instalment of Captain America, which is Civil <laughs> War. <laughs> now, I've got to get you together with uh, with one of my sons. Yeah, uh, yeah he liked well, his I'm, style already. I'm sure. Yeah, so yeah, get him onto the podcast. You know, like we can we can chat. Um, yeah, we could actually. That'd be fun. <laughs> it'd be wild. And 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 Peter's got. Uh, uh, I think his his current. Um, yeah, face mask protection. Is it Captain America, Peter? Is that what you're sporting at the moment? It was a yes. It's a Marvel one. It's um, it is Captain America. There you go. There you so go. Steve. See, see, he, he is the defender. Get yeah. So, so there Peter's you go. got a Iron Man on Captain the side. Captain America's shield. Brilliant. But but <laughs> I, the reason why I kind of bring it up because while the, uh, the 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 movies themselves can you know you and you can take them as you like. They're pretty fun and you can see them as pretty trivial uh, and you know there's the typical kind of superhero narrative in there of you know uh, internal conflict and rising to the challenge and all that kind of stuff but why I pick pick a uh, single out civil war uh, is because I find it a really interesting um, really interesting positioning between two perspectives that actually splits up the Avengers as a team, as a team of enhanced individuals whose purpose is to go out and beat off bad guys at different parts of the world because they are the most capable and competent defense that the world has. They yes. operate privately and they use their discretion to go around and, and say, we are needed to fight here, so we we, we go and we do that where we go and yep. defend the innocent save as many people as we can but in civil war they encounter a problem because they there's this, the opening scene is you know they they, they, they they they're fighting off some bad guys in some part of nigeria i think in africa and then there's there's some collateral damage and some innocent civilians die 
And that all yep. of a sudden raises the question amongst all the countries through uh, who band together through the United Nations to say, actually, are we okay with a group of, you know, super enhanced vigilantes. individuals, vigilantes, they call them, going around and deciding where they should stick their, you know, noses in and, and, and fight for us without any kind of oversight. And some of the Avengers realize, hang on a second, yeah, they've got a point. We've been going around unchecked and people are getting hurt because of us, innocent people. So do we hand over our our freedom to decide where we go and where we engage in combat uh, for the sake of um, being, I guess, compliant to the multilateral, I guess, how would you describe it? The organization of the United Nations, the international it's community. The United Nations of superheroes. That's right. And and then you contrast that with the other half of the team, which is led by Captain America, who say, No, we we can't hand over or surrender yeah. our responsibility and our right to choose. We in are fact, in fact it's it's very strong in Captain America's case because he's talking about his individual response to to someone being a oppressed or something like that so if someone's exactly. in need he won't stand by and let it happen just because some governments can't decide to actually act mm. and that's what actually made me think about the the relationship between state responsibility and individual responsibility or the individual responsibility and state um action and 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 uh, and I'll say this quickly that depending on when this podcast gets released, um, but we live in a <laughs> we live in a particular time where there is a big kind of, I guess, conflict going on. It's not so much a conflict per se, but there is a little bit of tension around. Well, how do we best manage, you know, uh, the threat of a viral pandemic, for example, that's going on? Do we need the state to bring in draconian, or not necessarily draconian, but uh, measures to strict, force strict everyone laws, into isolation? Strict yeah. laws is probably a better word. Or do we instead do individuals have to take it upon themselves to to be yeah. able to and and or and do individuals retain the freedom to decide to do that for themselves or does the state have to come in and so it made me think yeah in in this timely i guess uh, point in what's going on in, around the world to 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 watch uh, civil war made me, yeah, it really drew me out there. So I don't know what you guys' thoughts about that, the relationship between individual responsibility and the state. I think it's a, it, you're right. It, it does raise the question. And a couple of other movies that do similar things are the, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie, a very old movie called Demolition Man, um, where Ooh, this no. so-called utopian future, it's, it's the only movie I liked Sylvester Stallone in. He's in it with Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock, but basically it's in a, it's in a, uh, a future which is supposedly utopian and um and they're so utopian that that when when a, a prisoner breaks out of cryo prison um and is suddenly violent the police aren't trained to deal with violence they don't know how to deal with violence. so they so they sort of bring another ex-cop out of um out of out of freezing and so it's someone from our our century going into the this sort of utopian future and they don't know how to deal with violent people because there's just no one around anymore like that so it's a really interesting commentary on what would society be like if we limited everybody's behavior to certain parameters and what kind of freedom actually makes us human. Um, if we're going to give freedoms though, uh, surely we need to be prepared for people to use them in a bad way. So for example, I've argued in previous podcasts about freedom of speech. In arguing for freedom of speech, for my freedom of speech, I have to accept that you might say something that I would find quite offensive or even blasphemous and that I defend your right to say it 
even though it might it is offensive or hurtful to me and and offensive against my religion but i but the principle of freedom there requires that i accept that you can use your freedom in a way that i don't agree with but with a certain upper limit would you say like i would say that it has to be a limit i can't you can't use your freedom to kill me um, oh, so but in, in terms of, say, freedom of speech, you know, I'm not going to kill you with speech, although I probably could bore you to death if I tried. <laughs> um, the, the, but the, the question being that, for example, <laughs> using, using, speech to, using speech to incite violence, for example, or even in modern media, do we talk about, for example, live streaming of, you know, horrific acts over yeah. the internet and giving so that access? If it's a criminal behaviour or incitement to criminal behaviour, you would say no. Yeah, but then you would could. But then, what would you criminalize then? Because what are we calling criminal behaviour? I agree. Uh, so there's a, there's a line there. I don't know where the line is, but I do think that um, in modern times we're we're too busy we're too busy getting ready to shut people down because they're not using the freedoms in the way we want them to. However, I'm I'm here with a kid who's very vulnerable to this disease. Um, I've watched many many young people in particular, but older people too, being very stupid about the. The, when we were asked voluntarily to shut down uh, the society, I watch people just turn up at Bondi Beach. That's not a good use of their We're freedoms. not over Bondi Beach yet. We will never be over Bondi What makes I, me I, sad about that is so many people I know who love to go to the beach and they're socially responsible people who now cannot go because of what happened there. Like yes. that, That's what I find really difficult. Yeah, idiots ruin it for everybody. So the yeah. idiots who who can't manage a certain speed in the car mean that we have to restrict our speed limit to a, to much lower than that because they just aren't um, aren't able to cope with it. There's there's a lot of um, uh, issues around freedom, but I think movies are, is a good place to test these things. I mean, you can go into a thought experiment. One of my favourites is Star Trek. I don't like Star Trek. I think the the whole utopian idea that they have in Star Trek of the future is completely bizarre. Oh, that's what makes it so great, Peter, because I oh. can just sit there in front of Star Trek and Captain Picard starts talking and I just think, my gosh, you are a full-on deontologist. This is fantastic. <laughs> and then, you know, someone else comes up and I'm like, oh, you know, ethics of care. This is very interesting. This is very interesting. And then, oh, utilitarian. Oh, but it's I, great. I don't like the whole illusion that we're suddenly all one, one humanity is all one government and we all get along and we all agree that we have to be tolerant um, uh, just for the record. Oh, but I think it tests that. I actually don't think it's saying that. I think it says that okay. we're trying, but I think it In keeps on case, showing how we don't succeed, which is great. Is that, my point is that they, they're able to set up lots of thought experiments by in the first series, the original series, uh, Every about third episode was was some issue with a faulty transporting device that either duplicated, you know, Spock or duplicated Captain Picard or something. You had the evil and the good one, and or in in the um, Picard series, I think that's next gen, isn't it? Every about third episode was their hollow deck misfunctioning in some way, and they ended up in some alternate reality stuck in there. Um, like the one where Sherlock Holmes came to the the actual character. Yeah, um, and Moriarty, Moriarty almost for... defeats the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. I find myself thinking about the holodeck a lot at the moment because I listen to my colleagues in schools of nursing and medicine um, and education as well, and they're not able to mm. uh, do the work that they need in terms of practical experience in order right. to get their qualifications. And I keep thinking if we had a really sophisticated holodeck, 
that should take <laughs> care of that problem. And I reckon that that's where we should be spending some energy at the moment, actually getting the holodeck up. Um, because the way that they can explore different scenarios on that holodeck is, I think, fantastic. They currently train um, uh, pilots and um, police and also SWAT teams uh, with virtual reality situations where they go in and, and have to deal with hostage situations and stuff like yeah. that. And pilots are trained by um, flying a lot and landing in, in virtual reality simulators. Um, I know because I have one of them myself, one of the virtual reality simulators, and I've crashed a number of 747s, I'd just like to say. And so- I am never getting in a plane with this man. <laughs> oh, that, what is it? 767. Anyway. I'm glad our society... He doesn't even Peter. know the model number. Come on. Yeah. I'm glad well, our society, it's... Peter, has rules yeah. that prevent people who can't fly planes yeah. from playing them. <laughs> what the... kind of terrible government do you believe in, Cormac? That's right. Cormac's such a lefty. He's such a lefty. I know. He believes I know. in rules. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Or is that a righty? I don't know anymore. Right. <laughs> What's the All difference? Right. Well, Someone explain it to me. Now that we're moving past this, rather than things that make us think about philosophy, what about movies that just actually keep you guessing? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Thomas Crown Affair or The Prestige or Now You See Me or these sort of movies where they kind of dangle dangle this idea in front of you and then switch, you know, make you make you think about who done it or... They always make me feel like a bit, they always make me feel like a bit of an idiot, to be honest, because my (laughs) wife is exceptional at saying, oh yeah, and this is going to happen. Like she just knows in like the plots. And then, and I go, are you that man who wakes up? Are you that man that wakes up at the end of the movie and goes, huh, what? Hey, what's going happening? <laughs> no, not that bad. Probably when I'm 65, though. Um, that's right. probably, probably the, the deadline for that to kick off. Um, stay tuned. But, yeah, it's, it's just that uh, I actually do quite enjoy those kinds of films. I've, I really enjoy The Prestige and, and and Now You See Me. for How they did that at the beginning with the um, – actually, you might know how they did where they flick the cards, the whole deck in front of you on the screen, and you as the viewer watch it. And you go – and it's like pick a card, any card, what card do you see? And you go, I saw the Seven of Diamonds, and everyone saw the Seven of Diamonds, and they light up the building with the Seven of Diamonds. And I'm like, what was the, what was the cinematography technique to do that? It was probably just the, the same as is used in the magic trick, but um, is a trick to it. Renee, you look like you've got um, a movie in your mind there, or you, a point oh, you wanted to make. But I was hesitating because it's it's in um, it's po- kind of probably in the sci-fi genre as well. But I find Signs to I that's one of my uh, favourite. Yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson, with, um, Mel Gibson, and Joachim mm. Phoenix. And what I really like about that one is that it's not only about sci-fi and it's kind of a mystery, but it's also about a confrontation with a loss of faith so that I like it just brings so much together and it's very very well done but what I like about it too is that it really strings you along so that you're not really sure whether or not you are dealing with aliens or not for a very long time okay um and then there's a there's a revelation and you know one way or the other so dear listener I will not ruin it for you because it's a fantastic (laughs) one if you've never seen it watch them from beginning to end and the the acting in there is superb but I think that just on so many levels it it does make you think what I find the difference between a movie that makes me think and one that doesn't is if the next day I can't even remember what I watched the night before, then it was it pretty much didn't make the cut. But if I'm still sort of chuckling or thinking about something uh, the next day or, you know, talking, talking with my husband about it the next day and um, trying to figure stuff out, then then I think that's a good thing. See, that happens to me with Monty Python movies still, even though they're just really silly, they're actually taking a look at something that's quite serious 
making an absolute mockery of it, but they're doing it in quite a clever way. And then when you actually think about it a bit, you end up going, hang on, that's actually really funny and really quite quite clever in the way that they've critiqued a particular thing. Like the guy, one of my favourite scenes is the is the political diatribe of the fellow who's actually a peasant mucking around in the mud and um, the king comes past and then he has this whole dialogue with the king. Um, you know, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government kind of thing. There's this beautiful, <laughs> quite high, complex political debate happening between a king and a peasant. Um, and the, the, the king comes out the worst for wear on the whole whole debate. It's quite funny. But it's also a parody of um, kind of social activism and, and all kinds of other things. It's quite clever. In terms of movies that make you think and TV shows that make you think, I, I watched a series called Fringe which was on Netflix, but now it's not anymore. But it was it was very interesting in that it kind of ended up talking about alternative history kind of thing, and where you you can it's possible to come across or be aware of yourself in a different universe where you you might have made a different decision or you know in a different reality, it, like the sliding doors kind of thing, but on a on a much broader scale. In terms of TV series, The Wire was probably is probably the one that still makes me think. Okay. So that's um that's a fantastic one because it's it's such a kind of sociological overview of so many different things, and it just has fantastic characters. Um, the big joke, you know, in our household when I was watching it with my husband was that toward the end, a lot of the gangsters get killed off, and I'd get really upset when one of them was killed, and and he would say to me. But don't you remember when he did this? He went when he did that, and I'm like, he's such a great character, and now he's gone. Oh. Um, so there was that. But also, I tend to like uh, like darker stuff or, or or super silly stuff. We just watched Iron Man three recently, and I really enjoyed it. That was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Lots of explosions and just really fun stuff. And I I I never tire of the main character saying. I am Iron Man. No, it's a really significant <laughs> moment. So that was great. Um, but uh, Calvary, have you seen Calvary at all? Now I've heard oh, about this. That's a really good one. So um, I can just give you the opening. It's a harsh movie. It's a really, really harsh one. Um, it's one of those where, like, I probably can't watch it for another five years because I'm still so emotionally um <laughs> ripped apart by it but it is about a priest in Ireland who hears a confession of someone who was abused so it's obviously already really on very very difficult territory he's in a small community someone comes to confession the priest knows who it is but you as the viewer don't know who it is um, and he says I'm giving you a week you are going to pay for the sins of the person who abused me because you are a member of the church and it was a member of the church who did it um, you have a week to live. And so then you watch the last, is it the last week or is it not the last week? And so you've always got that going on, but um, it goes through the, the week in this priest's life. So you meet all of these people in the community. And it was really interesting watching the kind of background material on this because the director was trying to figure out if it was a kind of stations of the cross. So there are different figures along the way. So the whole Calvary motif was really all the way through it. Um, it's a fantastic movie that still makes me think and still makes me want to just wow. weep. Yeah. So that's a good one. In terms of Christological one, or, or, or the ones that are really stood out to me as, as having a redemptive quality, one that I, I kind of wanted to wrap up this episode with is um, Gran Torino. 
Um, yeah. Have you seen like Gran Torino? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. It's interesting that you raise it. Old Bishop Barron talks a little bit about Gran Torino. Oh, as does well. he? So yeah, yeah. 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 And he and he thought... uses movies a lot in in kind of like drawing out of the culture to try and make the yeah. the you know, Christological references a lot of the time. I loved Gran Torino, and particularly because it was understated in the areas that 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 usually American directors find the need to be overstated in. So the whole when he goes to confession, I was waiting for this whole melodramatic unfolding kind of thing, and it ended up being quite understated. And the emphasis was very much on the fact that um, a very small thing, which seemed to be small in terms of a sin. Uh, actually, its impact on relationships was the big deal. You know, the, mm. the fact that he, he talked about his own attitude being a bad thing, and the priest was going, "I was expecting to hear some great war crime, you know, that you've you've not been to confession for." But actually, it was just that he was he was he should have been more uh, loving to his kill children. But the to to the character was such a deep thing because of its impact, and it was very yeah. profound. And the ending is just amazing in terms of the way it plays out. It's just absolutely yeah. amazing. That's probably enough for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with your podcast device, you've got other movies you'd like us to talk about, or you think we're wrong about the movies that we've talked about, you can subscribe to our podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Send us a message about it at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Contact us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. And remember, this is an Australian Catholic podcast. We think that's unique enough to be an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Um, time for shout outs Cormac yeah I just want a little shout out to all the, the the parents in particular of little children who currently might have restricted access to the outdoors and their uh, boundless creativity in coming up with different ways of keeping their children entertained uh, we don't always <laughs> have to go down the path of movies though that is the great temptation so I applaud you every time you're able to get them to dig in the dirt or, or, or find some other fun activity that we used to do before before the TVs were at our disposal. Nice. Renee? I'd like to shout out to the artistic community that I know is particularly hard hit right now. So they were one of the first industries, if I can put it that way, to be very hard hit because they were not able to put on their dramatic performances. I know of artists who had spent a very long time putting together a show um, you know, writing and directing a play that then couldn't be performed. So it's not only the economic, um, out, you know, the the economic ramifications of what's going on right now, but also I think that's just very hard when your life is in your art like that, and not to be able to pursue that and express it. So a big shout out to them, and I really hope that one day the theatres will be open and again, and we'll all be able to be in them together. Cool. I'm going to shout out to those people along the lines of Renee's shout out to those people whose industry isn't going ahead because of this right now and you're feeling the pinch in terms of your business. It's easy for me to talk about a shutdown as a being a good thing because I still have work. And for those people who are struggling or are out of work for this, um, I'm not going to pretend to uh, know what you're going through because I can't, but I respect that and I, I'm humbled by your sacrifice at the moment and I hope that there's so those of us who have as Cormac pointed out in our conversation before those of us who have can help those of us who haven't and we all pull through this together Um, thank you very much for doing your bit that's all for now thank you for listening to this Catholic Life Mm -hmm.